Hello, and welcome to the Foot School Podcast. I'm Andy Brummage. Raising children is no easy task, even in the best of times. But with a pandemic entering its 11th month, political unrest, and a long overdue racial reckoning, children may be struggling to deal with all the uncertainty. Foot School is lucky to have two experts in the field of child psychology and development who are here to help. School counselor Kasuth Bradford and consulting pediatric psychiatrist Dr. Michael Kaplan recently solicited questions from parents about how to best support their children's education and well-being during tumultuous times. Here's their conversation. Thank you for joining us. I'm Kasuth Bradford, our school counselor, and I am with Dr. Michael Kaplan, our consulting psychiatrist. And we are here to answer some questions um, that you all have asked us. Our first question is, in a moment when so much of the conversation surrounding race, politics, and protests seems so incendiary, is the old maxim still true that there's no such thing as a stupid question? What do you say to a kid who has, a, who has questions but worries that asking it may upset people or make them look insensitive or unwoke? How do you get over this and jumpstart a meaningful, a meaningful discussion? Well, that's a really good uh, question. It has a lot of layers to it. Um, and I think it's really important uh, for us to think about that question um, because I think a lot of our students may be feeling that way, um, especially our middle school students. I think our, if we divide it up, I think developmentally, the, the younger students are usually free of any kind of bias in that way or self-consciousness and they just ask, which is what's so refreshing about working with you know, younger kids. Um, I think with older kids, as they've been exposed to this um, and they've seen things, um, I think well, we'll, we'll both work on this question, but my, my first attempt at answering the question is that I would double down on that maxim and say, yes, there is no such thing as a, as a dumb question, that we have to have all questions um, in, in a school setting um, be, be able to be a- a- answered and asked. Um, and our job as educators is to help children feel comfortable asking those kinds of questions, yeah. um, because how are they going to learn? Um, and I think a lot of it has to do with how we respond to the question as opposed to the asking of the question and what kind of environment that we create for students uh, in the classroom uh, and you know, on the teacher, uh, how does he or she respond to that? I think it's important for our teachers to be able to respond in ways that open up conversations as opposed to close conversations, that make kids feel comfortable rather than uncomfortable because you know, my feeling is that they won't learn anything. It's through those, you can't see my air quotes, um, dumb questions that, um, that they learn um, and that it's important for, and when one student asks that kind of question, others will feel comfortable, like the response in the room really will dictate you know, how things go from there. Yeah, no, I, I would completely agree. Um, I, I heard a quote from somebody saying that we're all on our own journey and trying to be compassionate with, with one another as we're on that journey. And I think that that fits with this idea of someone who maybe is unaware um, and is curious. And so hopefully there's, uh, as you said, a space that's been created by the adult or the teacher in the room or in that space to say, hey, um, this is a safe space to ask any question because we're all trying to learn um, and we're all in the process of learning. And so hopefully there's that, that space has been created. And then it's this idea of letting someone know why that might be considered an insensitive question or might be an insensitive, insensitive statement, but with a space of a place of compassion and, and, and patience um, 
with that individual because once again, we're all on, that, on this journey. And I think that applies at home with parents too, you know, because humiliation is the worst thing in response to a question, right? Kids are so sensitive. I'm sure parents, we all remember when we asked that dumb question or we asked some question um, that was then attacked or ridiculed, whether it was by an older sibling, uh, by a parent, by a relative. And I think we have to really protect our kids against that and, and, and support them and encourage them to ask anything that's on their minds. Right. Um, because the other thing I'd, I'd like to add is that we often take kids at face value. And so we may hear a question or if we're a teacher and not actually know where it's coming from. So it may seem like a racially motivated question or very insensitive question or offensive kind of question. Mm -hmm. um, but when you're five or 10 or 15, you're not 45 or 55. Right. And right. they may be coming from a very different place. So the other thing that's important as parents is to, is to turn off the assumption machine. Um, and when they ask something that makes you think, oh, you know, say, well, what do you mean by that? It's always good to say, what do you mean by that? Or where'd you hear that? Or, or can you say that again? Right. Right. Before we were very quick, and I think the question I guess is we're very quick to jump in when we hear something. And we're not very good at sort of like listening yeah. and reflecting um, because we come in with all of our assumptions. So that assumption machine, I think, is a, is a big factor. And we can help ourselves, the teachers, and then we can help the other students because, you know, in a classroom of, you know, a middle school, um, they may come in with like, oh, that's so, or you can't say that, or that word's not allowed. And as opposed to, well, where does that word come from? Where does that question come from? And what are you thinking? And let us help you. And, that's and right. that kind of thing. So I'm, I'm really glad that that, that parent posed the question. Yeah. And, and I would just lastly add even that piece of, to your point of the curiosity of where that question, you know, where, why'd you pose that question or what, what, what was beneath that or underneath that in the sense that I think realizing as well that um, if they don't ask that question they, and they've been shamed and silly, they're going to go, it's going to go inward and they'll get that information somewhere else. And who knows where else that information is going to, going to be gathered and why not be in a space, hopefully that's safe um, and, and informed compared to somewhere else. So um, that'd be the last uh, piece to that, I would, I would say. All right, um, but yes, thank you for that question. Our next question is, I would love to hear more about navigating these middle school years, how to create boundaries, but also ensure we are paying enough attention to the real or potential impact of the pandemic on the social emotional lives to tweens and teens. Saying no versus saying yes. Well, we've all been there, right? We've all had that experience um, because I think all the advice that you've been getting and relying on um, and your own instincts is to say yes, right? You said to go easy on your kids. Um, it's really hard. And so I think pulling back is going to be you know, a challenge uh, in some situations. Um, and so negotiating all of that uh, isn't, isn't the easiest thing. And, but I do think that um, you know, it feels like it's been a long time, um, but you know, kids remember what it was like before. <laughs> and so you know, part of it is sort of slowly readjusting. And I think what they may need, um, if I'm hearing the question correctly, is a period of time, you know, to not rip the bandaid off completely, you know, but slowly take it off, like slowly move back yeah. um, to the kinds of things. So if they've doubled their, you know, internet usage, um, it probably wouldn't be a good idea to just like go back when it's over, you know, but to slowly go back. Yeah, exactly. And I think once again, in, in that same vein, it's just a sense of balance. Um, I think we, it has been a very imbalanced due to what, we're, what we've been dealing with. And so just trying to bring a little of that sense of balance back to the equation. Um, and so if your child is spending a little bit more time on, 
online and on social media, but also making sure that they're getting outside for walks or making sure that they're getting some exercise and making sure that they're doing some creative work. And so creating a space, a time where that's expected, where they're going to do some writing or some art or some craft or something in that vein that is, you know, uh, uh, stimulating and different from social media um, and, and screens. So um, I think, and, and, and not being afraid to make that clear that this, in this period, in this time frame, screens aren't an option. And, and these, these are some of the, and giving some suggestions and saying, hey, we could try this, we could try that, I'll even help you with it, or I'll start it with you. But, it, but that expectation that um, they have that capacity to engage in these other activities that we know are just uh, healthier or healthy and, um, and, and create some balance with all this screen time. Yeah, and I, I agree. And I think that it takes our effort and work. We can't just expect kids to right. come along when we snap our fingers um, or say, all of a sudden now you can't have this, um, but to get in there with them. So if we're asking them not to be on social media and, or, or to exchange that or to have times like cause you're saying, cause it, um, that we have to do it with them. We can't just say like, you go and do something on your own. Like sort of the silver lining of the pandemic is that we actually have more time to spend with our kids in productive ways, like doing puzzles or doing projects or doing baking or doing, you know, if you play instruments or taking a walk, it doesn't have to be complicated. It's not like a prize winning craft project kind of situation. Um, it's basically pretty low key, low effort, low flow kinds of things. Um, and so I think that like, if you balanced it out with them, um, then, then, then uh, you'll, you'll feel better about it and so will they. Um, and it'll be easier when the pandemic is over to, to, to re rewind a bit in terms of um, what things, but then there'll be things, like I said, in the silver lines, like you'll have advantages later on of a, of a positive family uh, together time. That's right, that's right. And, and I think even with that, in terms of, of the realities of the phone, I think we know there's pros and cons to everything, but also helping your child recognize, I think can be valuable. Hey, we've been having a lot of screen time, and but I'm also noticing there's a little habit here. That's always your go-to. I'm noticing that the things you used to do that you got joy from, you're, you're kind of minimizing and you're not engaging. And so helping them kind of be that mirror, be that mirror for them a little bit to say, hey, it's had an impact on all of us. I know I'm not doing the things that I usually do, and I'm trying to kind of re-engage those things because it's just, you know, it's easy for all of us to get lost in that world. Um, um, it's the, the path of least resistance. And so just kind of being a mirror a little bit, not necessarily in a, in a, in a judgmental or critical way, but in an honest way of saying, hey, I'm seeing these things and, and we want to kind of uh, reverse a little of that or, or, or start to reintegrate some of these other components in, in our life. And sometimes parents ask, well, I can't get my kid to do that. Like they'll say, we'll, 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 we'll talk like this and they'll say, but I, so um, I think what's good is to, that, that you get to be in charge of the frame um, they get to choose within the frame. And this works very well with the younger kids, especially like, okay, you can't be on um, you know, Minecraft right now. Um, there's nothing else I want to do. Uh, and you say, well, you have three choices and you, the parent come up, but you can choose A, B, or C. We have to pick one of those things. Right. Um, works a little less well with adolescents, but it's still worth a try. So that you're not just, again, being that, you know, the binary, yes, no, screen, no screen, social media, no social, but on the other side, of, of the of digital world are, are choices for them and then they have to pick one. Um, and obviously things that you think would be, you know, a preferred activity. You're not something that, you know, that they hit rock mountain climbing you because they have to go mountain climbing. Um, so. Uh, that menu. Okay. Pardon? That menu of options almost. If a menu, right. And have that with them. And then the more you work on it, it'll train them to think, oh, because part of it is helping them develop self-resilience. That's right. um, and and self-help skills um, and what what to do in a time of boredom 
um, and what are the options um, to, to try. All right, um, thank you for that question. Our next question is, my kids are now so comfortable being home all the time, pajamas, new puppy, cozy fires, that shifting back to school and getting out more has been challenging. Any strategies to support kids so they understand we can't stay home all the time? Well, I think the number one thing here is just to validate their experience um, because they're looking for you to just say, go get in the car, you know, or you know, get dressed for school. You know, you have no options. You know, they're, they're expecting the sheriff um, and, and then looking for a fight. Um, so obviously they have to go to school and obviously they have to, um, can't be home in pajamas all day long. Um, but the way to get there, the softer landing is to say, yeah, I know it's really hard. Like, this is really hard. Like, you've had so much fun. Like, wouldn't it be better to have pajamas, you know, be in your pajamas and have hot chocolate every afternoon? Uh, so I think, you know, that would be a, a good place to start. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I'm a believer of that idea of absence makes the heart grow fonder. So I think there's a value in sometimes uh, getting some space from something that you are enjoying and be at the home. And that could even on a weekend. I know sometimes I have to get into a little discussion about the, the reason why we have to go for a walk when everyone's, you know, kind of hanging out doing their thing. But I, I find that the kids have started to realize when they do go for that walk, one, it's nice to get out and it's a nice change of space and, 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 and the environment. Um, and two, when they come back to the home, there's a different kind of energy and appreciation because they've had some space from it. So I think helping them see that and helping them see that they actually come back into their home, into the home a little refreshed and with a little more energy where, compared to where they were before we left, where they might've just kind of been in that, that deep zone, that deep space, but it was almost kind of becoming uh, a bit, uh, uh, I don't know, lethargic or, or just um, um, redundant or habitual in that sense. And so um, just taking that space sometimes can just give you a new, new appreciation. Right. If they really like spending a day in their pajamas, you can have a Saturday pajama day, you know, or, you know, create those things at home or things you may have done like, you know, breakfast for dinner or, you know, ice cream Sundays for lunch or, um, you know, uh, getting back to that, it was all yes. You, you can still throw those in every once in a while to make home seem, you know, kind of special. All right, thank you for the question. Let's see, we have another one here. For the up, um, I would like, I would love to know ideas for how to creatively get my seventh grader together with her pod outside without phones on the weekend. Well, I think if we take the word without phones first, yeah. um, I think that that the one thing at a time. So I think getting them. Well, maybe they are. I don't know if the questioner was implying that they are together all the time with their phones. So the issue is how to get them off their phones. But why don't we take it as how to get them together safely outside? Right. Um, and uh, because they may just want to be staying inside. Well, I think, um, you know, there are a lot of options here. So um, daytime get togethers in parks, six feet apart on blankets. So you, you know, have every kid bring a blanket and a snack. Um, and they'll probably be so happy to see each other that that could be successful. And then the parents have to leave the scene. So yeah. they're left all by themselves um, with minimal supervision in some public space. Um, I think that's, and then beforehand, maybe you go to like Dunkin' Donuts, you get hot chocolate for everybody. You get munchkins, you set up like really fun snack bags and kind of make it like a party. Yeah. Um, and that applies to little kids as well as older kids. Um, 
you know, some people uh, are fortunate to have like a fire pit in their backyard. It can make a bonfire, you know, roasting marshmallows. And I think for middle school kids, having a nighttime activity with friends yeah. is, um, uh, is, is very, uh, uh, very attractive to them. Um, and so you might try to figure out some outside thing when it's not below freezing. But, you know, kids, we all know this, kids have different temperature uh, gradients. So what parent hasn't said, put a sweater on, put a coat on, wear your gloves, wear your boots. Like, they operate at a higher temperature. So even though we may be freezing, um, you know, they can bundle up, uh, get hand warmers, hats, yep. gloves, scarves. Yep. Uh, I even put long one underwear on, long underwear on once myself to be out at a, uh, you know, a marshmallow party. Uh, so, um, so I think that's kind of like now. I think if you do, I address that first. Um, but then maybe Kasuth, you have some ideas about the phones. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I think. I would go with what you said earlier as we were talking about it. You don't want to try to cross too many too many rivers at once. So, you know, I think with the phones, if you were going to try to execute that, I think it would almost have to be a collective uh, conversation with all the parents. I think you would have to reach out to the parents and say, hey, if we, you know, get a if we have a gathering with the kids, can we all agree that no one will bring their phone? Um, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't uh, be too adamant about this idea that they can't get together if they, if they don't have their phones, because I do think just them being together, the phones might be out, but there's still communication, there's still connection. And that's what we're really looking for. Um, they're outside, um, they're not in front of a computer. So I think hopefully, you know, recognizing maybe we can't get everything, but, but we'll get, if we can get majority of it, most of it, then, then we'll take it. Um, and, and that's how I probably, um, try to address that component, but but definitely can understand the desire just to have them be phone free for a little bit. But unfortunately, I don't know, might be asking almost too much, but I, I wouldn't I wouldn't want to say that out too loud. No, exactly. And I, I think that's exactly right because um especially now during the pandemic when they can't actually be with their friends so much, um, like letting that go by the wayside. However, at home you can certainly have your rules about the phone. Uh, like there should not be phones at the dinner table. I'm talking to you parents as well. Um, every phone should be turned off. Um, uh, and if there's someone important you have to hear from, you can give them their own ringtone. You know, if there's some emergency, you know, grandma's sick or auntie's sick or something, and you, you, you might need to hear from the hospital, okay. Um, but, and, and, and no phones in their rooms at night, you know, after they go to bed, mm -hmm. lights out and phones. So there's plenty of ways to take the phone out of their lives that doesn't involve their social time. And I would try, at least during the pandemic, try and separate that out. Lastly, my other idea, I would be to try and you know get get your your child to see that as something valuable you know like maybe have them work on it you know as opposed to you imposing it on them because anything you try and impose with a phone with your child is is really a battle um, and so so that's something that you might think about with them you probably run against a brick wall <laughs> um, but you might try and get them you know motivated to think about wow what would it be like to be together with a few of my friends social distance without phones yeah. No, that sounds great. And and yeah, I, I liked your idea with the bonfire. I think that goes a long way. Just something to do with the kids outside. You get a little s'mores, you get some pizza. Um, and um, you know, it's 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 a it's a nice little gathering and, and COVID safe. So and without parents, you know, they could be outside and you're inside. Like they really want to be together without parents. I think that's a key thing about their social gatherings. Um, so let's see. All right, our next question is, how do we manage their and our anxiety over getting COVID, especially with the new variant that we've been reading about? Yeah, that's a, a very good question and universal because so many 
of us and our children are anxious. Uh, and when we follow the news media, while fortunately there's been a lot of positive news about vaccine, it's always followed by the push and pull of the negative. Like there's not enough doses and you know this isn't gonna happen. And, and there's this new variant and everyone starts talking about the new variant. And right. you know, we have to take each instance of that seriously. Um, I think when we're talking about our kids' anxiety, uh, by this point in the pandemic, we pretty much know our children. Um, and some of us have kids who are gonna be anxious about this and some of us are, are, aren't. I think that we just go back to the same things that have worked all along. And one is our role modeling. So if we're role modeling safe behavior for our children, that's gonna make them feel safe. Our school is role modeling safe behavior. Uh, and, and, and sort of their immediate world around them is modeling safe behavior um, is important and to point that out to them. So I think what really helps anxiety is concrete examples that, that you know, contradict what the anxiety is telling them. Um, and so you can create building blocks to uh, provide that counterweight to their anxiety. Uh, and so, and to praise it where it is. So for example, like say, how have we been doing? And how, how do we keep safe? So the other part of this is put it on them, have them explain to you how they've kept safe so far and how you're keeping safe so far and have them tell you how school is keeping things safe. Um, we, we have to be honest and say, we can't be 100% safe, but we can't be 100% safe about anything. We can't be 100% safe about any kind of disaster or destruction or calamity or catastrophe. You know, we, we, but this is in the same ballpark. But the good news, and then I think it's important to spin things positively, is aren't, isn't it good? We know how this virus is transmitted and we know how to stop it. And that we know really good scientists have been working on this, many of them are all in our own community and even in our foot community have been telling us for 11 months now, this is how it goes. Uh, and, and you can tell them nothing has changed. Like the advice has been the same consistently, you know, since the end of last March. Uh, and that, um, that by, you know, practicing social distancing and face covering and hand washing, you know, and ventilation, you know, the sort of the core principles. I would just, with your child, just go back to those four core principles and and what's right in front of their faces. Uh, and I think we should be, the other way to talk to them is to say, aren't we lucky kind of conversations about how well the school is doing? Isn't it great you get to go to school? Look around you in your community. And, and your, are your public schools, or, you know, are there private schools like in session? You know, there's so many kids, uh, now this may not work for kids who wanna be home, <laughs> but, um, but, uh, but again, you know, the school has done a great job, you know, your parents at home and your, guardians have been doing a good job. And then to tell them like, you know, point the finger at them and say in a positive, like, and you're doing a good job. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think all those kinds of, those are some of, some of the things that I think about to, to really help them. And, and to your point, Michael, around school, um, I think also reminding them that we've been able to, we've been able to be quite successful at foot where we've had no known positive cases from teachers or students uh, thus far. Um, this idea that the likelihood of with 500 people on campus, that there wasn't someone who was symptomatic is very unlikely, but the fact that we did have masks and that we were washing our hands and we were social distancing allowed it for, for it not to spread. Uh, or if, if, so, if, there was, if, there was a, if there was a positive case, the safety measures that we took allowed us to be able to still be at school in, in a safe manner. Um, as well as you know, the research out there that says school is one of the safer places to be due to the safety measures that occur at school. And, and due to the fact that children still are, are um, seen as, as spreading at the same level as adults and a child is considered, I think, 12 and under, 
but they say according to the, the, some of the information we got from our consulting uh, physician, um, a majority of the cases where kids get it, it's not from school, it's from an adult in their home um, environment. So I think sharing that information as well uh, will hopefully alleviate some of the anxieties that, that uh, you know, are your child or children uh, have. Right. And, and two other points about anxiety. One is that sometimes kids express anxiety in one area, but it's really about something else. So that they may talk to you about, oh, I'm really anxious about this, but they might be anxious about something else. And the way to tell that is if your reassurance doesn't work or your these strategies don't work, is to talk to them, is there something else that you're worried about? Is something else on your mind? Um, because that's a very common thing for kids to um, be unable to express something, be worried, uh, but be more comfortable. It's very comfortable in our society right now to worry about COVID, but it may not be able, comfortable to worry about subject X, Y, or Z. Um, so if your reassurance doesn't work, so number one, think, is there something else going on? Um, is there something else bothering them in their life? You know, uh, some other kind of stress. Uh, and the second thing is that they continue to worry and worry and worry and worry. That might be a time to talk to your pediatrician. Mm -hmm. um, that if the normal things don't help and they're not sleeping well, they stop eating or they seem really despondent or they, their anxiety is interfering with their schoolwork or talking to friends or you know, their normal daily activities, I think then that's a time that you want, might want to think about um, calling up your, um, uh, your pediatric uh, healthcare provider. Mm -hmm. Great. Um, our next question, how do we keep their and our sanity in general? <laughs> well, Kasuth is the master of this, but I'll, I'll uh, since, since we have this seesaw back and forth, um, it's like just focusing on what works for you and making sure you take care of yourself and that you practice a lot of self-compassion and gratitude. Yeah. Um, and that, um, because it's very easy to lose our sanity. Yeah. Uh, it's a slippery slope. Um, but that um, I think the things that Kasuth has been telling us all to do for a while, and I'll let him say them, um, I think are really, really helpful. And those are the first things to go um, when we start to feel stressed. So we have to hold on to our own internal structure. And if we're healthy, we can help our kids be healthy. We can't have expectations of our kids. Expect them to go out and take walks or you know, start baking or start an art project. We can't have these expectations that we don't expect of ourselves. We have to start with ourselves and then we can extend it to um, the kids. Yeah, no, I think you said it, Michael. I've been um, thinking about it almost as though uh, um, you need your pandemic armor to be able to navigate this experience. And I mean by that armor is that idea of, of the self-compassion, of thinking about what we're grateful for, um, of what, thinking about what we can engage in in terms of giving a sense of well-being, uh, getting outside for those walks, getting in nature, trying to get a little exercise, being creative with um, your art or your writing and, and really trying to, once again, come up with that menu of things that are gonna give you a little, little, little shot of dopamine in terms of just something interesting and, and different. Um, and, and you're gonna need a lot of them because, because we're spending a lot of time at home. We are spending time without our colleagues, our friends that you're gonna have to, pretty, have, to have a pretty uh, deep menu and, and, um, and, and, and keep that well, well uh, um, informed in terms of really just trying to challenge yourself to, to identify different things that you can engage in that are gonna give you a little sense of uh, just uh, joy um, and, and reprieve from these feelings of just frustration and irritation and, and you know, hopelessness at times in terms of it's never gonna end. 
So really just really, and I think it, it takes us adults to lead that and, and show and modeling that with our kids. And then I think the last thing would be just humor, um, trying to laugh and be as, and, and silly and, and, and playful um, is, is so important um, with your kids and with, for ourselves. Um, so really just trying to figure out ways to do that and challenge yourself a little bit about how you can kind of connect with your kids in those playful and, and silly ways. Pick funny shows to watch with your children. And even if you think they're like cringy or intolerable, yeah, it's on you guys, you know, just watch them. Whatever that yeah. eighth grader, the fifth grader is watching that makes them giggle, yeah. uh, you gotta watch it with them. Um, you said it, you said it, Michael. I, I've been watching a few shows with my daughter that are quite painful, but we have some great conversations and some good laughs over them. And, um, and that's what it's about. So um, I, I like that last bit of advice. So with that, I think we will end on that last question. Um, thank you all so much for, for listening. And um, obviously, if you have any more questions, don't hesitate to reach out to me or Michael. Um, you know, we're always here and, and willing to support you in any way we can. Foot School Podcasts are a production of The Foot School, an independent school for grades K-9 to in New Haven, Connecticut. Subscribe to our podcast and leave us a rating and a review while you're there. It will help other people find our podcast. Find more information at www.footschool.org. Thank you for listening.